Welcome. I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you so much for joining me live on Fireside Chat, where you can be a part of the conversation as my virtual audience. I am your host, Lori Lee Binstock, and everyone has an opportunity to ask questions to me or my guests by requesting to hop on stage. Today's guest is best-selling author Jesse Kanzer. Jesse is a writer and best-selling author of Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. She is also a former reporter and actress. Her work has appeared in the Washington Post, New York Daily News, Wall Street Journal, The Independent, The New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Huffington Post, among other publications, including Authentic Insider. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Laura Lee. This is my first fireside chat, so I'm very excited. Well, I am so appreciative for you to join me. I'm really excited to get to talking about your book. The full text of your book is Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, Healing, Chilling, and Living with the Tao Te Ching. And I understand it as to not disrupt the natural order of the universe, but what do you mean? So in the book, in Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, I share my own personal story of healing that was many years in the making uh, through, you know, my life as a refugee. I was a refugee from the former Soviet Union. I came as a child. I struggled with identity issues, then eating disorder, de uh, depression, anxiety, all sorts of fun stuff. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> With the help of the Tao Te Ching, which, by the way, translates as the Book of the Way, and it's so ancient. It's from 6th century BC, China, and the simple yet com simple yet uh, very um, complex at the same time verses of the Tao that make you think and make you really reflect on yourself. These verses helped me to reconnect with a me that is so much greater than the identity boxes we put ourselves in or we're born into. And so what I mean by healing, of course, is pretty self-explanatory, is lean, leaning into our struggles, mining the lessons, and then learning how to let them go. And I learned that from the Tao. I also learned to chill, meaning, you know, the Tao Te Ching says a lot throughout um, the book, throughout its simple yet complex verses, things like do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. So for me, this chilling is about the ebb and flow and remembering to take back, you know, my energy to rest, to find stillness daily, no matter how busy I am. And then the living with the Tao Te Ching is like what you said. It's not, it's not letting my ego get the better of me and dictate how my life goes, but rather allowing the ebb and flow of life itself to take me, to take us. That's, that's fascinating. You know, being a refugee from the Soviet Union, and that obviously comes with its own traumas. And you're also a descendant of Holocaust survivors. 
Yes, I'm a descendant and um, how interesting and sad that 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 part of the world is so much in the news right now. But Mm -hmm. so half my family, my dad is from the Ukraine. His whole family is from the Ukraine. My grandfather was a World War II hero. Um, And then both my grandmothers um, survived the Holocaust. And so half my family's from Latvia, the other half from Ukraine. But of course, back when I left it, it was all one big blob of the Soviet Union, which hopefully does not come back. But yeah. What what is what is all of this in the news been doing for you? Has it been triggering at all? Yes. Yes, it has been triggering. It's been, of course, um, I have to say that it doesn't affect me anymore that it affects everyone. I think that... Yeah all of us empaths. And I know, Loralee, that that's something you and I share. <laughs> I've looked at a lot of your stuff, so I understand that. And um, any of any of us um, super sensitive, hypersensitive people, I think, are feeling the heaviness of war right now, even though it's far away. Um, but yeah, for me, it's definitely bringing up some of my, uh, I would say, generational trauma that I think that we all have to learn to work our way our way through the generational trauma that you know is often passed down via the umbilical cord and i think we don't realize that because you know we're so focused on our own lives and we think well this makes sense like you know this person cheated on me so of course i feel triggered by this but also there are triggers that come up in everyday life that trigger things that happened before we were born and yeah mm-hmm. that's going on for me but also Everything is an opportunity for healing. Um, I find it very interesting. You know, I've been working on my book on Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing for a while to have it come out like it actually launched last week and to have it launch in a time of war in the part of the world where I'm from is very surreal. Um, I also wrote about my experiences of uh, filming a movie with Vladimir Zelensky. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. So in the book, I have a little section called My Zelensky and it's a it's in a chapter called use it because I found I've been following his career and his political rise for a while because I did film a movie. I was a struggling actress. I should say as a quick backstory, (laughs) actress waitress in my twenties. And this Russian film was filming in New York. And because I spoke Russian, I got a small part in it. Um, It is interesting because I wrote in don't just sit there, do nothing about Vladimir Zelensky being a, a great example of the Taoist principle of using everything you're given, wasting nothing. And I spoke about how he was able to rise to political power after gaining such popularity by playing a president on TV. <laughs> and it's, I know it's really funny if you really think about it. And I mean, who knew he would be called to such, you know, such a heroic, I would say, um, mm-hmm. position where he is right now. But it is interesting, right? Like, I don't believe, I I don't know about you, I don't believe in synchronicities for no reason. So it is an interesting synchronicity that this person that I wrote about is now this hero of the world. And yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what, what my role for myself is in this. Like, how can I help others? How can I help myself through this trauma? Still figuring that out. Well, I think it's incredible. You know, like you said, the universe is is kind of 
doing what it needs to do. And, and, and it seems like your book came out right at the right moment, whether you planned it or not. For all I know, you could have been like, oh, why isn't this book out sooner? But it needed to come out when it needed to come out. Oh, what a good point you broke, bro, brought up because, of course, <laughs> I wanted it out sooner. We always want everything sooner. Right. But it really needed to come when it needed to. So, I, I, you know, you and I experienced trauma. So many people have experienced trauma. You know, I feel like for trauma survivors, it's so hard to do nothing. It's, it's very common for trauma survivors to feel like they're not doing enough, even though their day is jam-packed with things to do. How do we resolve that, that inner conflict with what we kind of tell ourselves or what we've been telling ourselves our whole life and what's actually necessary to heal? So I tell people all the time that this doing nothing, this stillness, you know, this, the Tao talks a lot about when you find stillness, you find the center of the universe within you. And it's a beautiful way of looking at it. Uh, what I find is our hamster wheel of an existence. <laughs> and, you know, in the modern day, I don't have to tell you how busy it is. It stops us from connecting with our own inner guidance. And really that's where true healing and true power reside. So when you're able to block out all the noise, all that external messaging, and you're able to sit still, be it for a few minutes, a couple of times a day, or be it for an entire day when you need to give yourself that, you're able to connect with this powerful inner voice that's been there all along, but you can't hear it amidst the noise of the outside world. And so it is actually... a I think the most important work we do is internal work. And I think anyone who has overcome trauma would agree that, you know, of course there's therapy and there's obviously self-help books and um, <laughs> all sorts of modalities that help us seek out healing. But ultimately the real healing happens internally. And so you need to give yourself time to process everything and to connect with your inner power. And I say, if all you have time for is a, few deep breaths, maybe just to glance outside and watch a tree branch for a minute and just feel the flow of the universe that exists within you as well. That is super powerful, super potent, and it doesn't take very long. You're right. And I think that's why people really don't understand the importance of meditation, kind of looking inward. I feel like that's a it's, it's it's a struggle for many, and I, honestly, I never understood the importance of meditation until I was forced to meditate when I had to go into treatment for trauma. But you're doing nothing and, and looking inward, I think, is extremely important. But how do we distinguish the idea of doing nothing and then living life and reaching goals? So. Of course, a, a great question and a common question, I would say. <laughs> um, the Tao, very interestingly, it says, it says, there's a time for being vigorous. There's a time for being exhausted. There, you know, there's a, there is a natural ebb and flow in life. And where we get in trouble is not via the doing. It's via the forcing, right? So... Mm. When you're able to slow down just a bit, and like like we talked about, it could be just moments a day, just, you know, just shutting everything off and sitting quietly. That's all. You know, I think meditation also scares people a lot. 
Um, I try, I try to simplify it because I say, even if you sit still and take a few deep breaths, that's great. But in parentheses, by the way, that is meditation. (laughs) It's not, um, when you're able to listen, to observe, to practice awareness, you know, my book, don't just sit there, do nothing is divided into three sections. The first section is identity. And it was, um, you know, I talk a lot about my own search for an identity until I finally found an identity that's greater than my physical form, that's greater than certain boxes that I was born into or I put myself into. And then the second part is all about awareness. When we're able to develop awareness, we know, and then the third part is creation, by the way. So, but when we're able to develop awareness, I say awareness is a superpower, you're able to naturally go with the flow there's a momentum to life right so when things are going and you're moving and everything's kind of it's in a go 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 sort of state then you go with it like the Tao says there's a time to be vigorous but when you feel yourself getting tired you feel things not coming as easily anymore that's the time for being exhausted that's the time for letting yourself take a break take the rest and it's really hard for us. And I would say that from my own experience, I mean, we're control freaks by nature as humans. We, you know, when we get scared, when we get triggered, we just want to control more. And it's that very subtle. That's why um, at the end of each chapter, I have a do your Tao section. I call them shifts versus exercises because they're not all like specific exercises. It's very subtle, these shifts in understanding that allow you to observe what's going on within you, to observe what's going on in your life and to go with it. So you're spending much less energy and time pushing that boulder up the hill. And that's how you conserve your energy. And the other thing I would say is sometimes when we're very busy, it can get really stressful when we look at our calendars and we're like, oh my God. (laughs) And I find that if we look at where we leak energy, And we just focus on what's right in front of us. What's the next thing I'm doing? What's the next thing I'm doing? And not spend so much time overanalyzing the end result. We save energy that way too. So of course there's things to do in life, but it's really important to develop that awareness so that you're wasting less energy and spending your energy in a more productive and healthy fashion. As someone who grew up in the Soviet Union where there was really a belief system, how did you get through that? What did you cling to when you did struggle? Yeah, that's a great question because, yes, the Soviet Union was a militantly atheist society. Um, and so my family, the genera- I'm Jewish, but for generations living in the Soviet Union, everyone become became an atheist or was forced to rather. Um, And so this is, of course, a very loaded topic, God. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, so Taoism is for me a philosophy. I know it is also a religion. That religion is much more complicated as religions generally are. The Tao Te Ching that I follow, it's just a philosophy. It can work with any other belief system in tandem. But I think it's a really personal, for me, the point is it's a really personal relationship, whether you're part of a church or a synagogue or a mosque or any religion that you do practice, I still think it's really vital to develop a personal relationship 
with A, you could look at it as something greater than yourself, or B, you can look at it as your higher self, mm. the power that is greater than your physical form, the power within you, your soul. So I don't care so much about the semantics of what you call this higher power, this God. You, I love universe. To me, mm-hmm. the universe is a very expansive term, source energy. The Tao, the Tao translates as the way. So the Tao Te Ching is the book of the way. And I think that's a really beautiful way of looking at it because it turns God, the universe, whatnot, it turns it into a verb. So rather it being this one concrete thing that's outside of you, the Tao is sort of the way of aligning yourself with a higher energy. And I naturally, and I think a lot of children, you know, I watch my own children. I think I naturally had a connection with an energy that's greater just than the physical form or the boxes I was put into, you know, told I was a girl, I was, a, <laughs> you know, born in the Soviet Union, etc. Those little things that define us biographically. I always had a connection with something greater. And I remember being like a really good manifester at a very young age. Wow. So I think that I just naturally always lean to an interest in the magical. And that's what spirituality is for me. You just talked about your children. Um, How do you raise them? Do you raise them with this philosophy of the, of the Tao? Well, they're young still. They're five and seven. They, of course, know that I wrote this book. They know the Tao Te Ching. They tell people. It's very <laughs> cute. They were in their art class, and they told their art teacher, my mom is famous, and she wrote a book, and you should get it. It's about the Tao Te Ching. Oh, <laughs> she's such a great publicist. I know. I said, my God, my seven-year-old is a publicist. But um, the truth is, I haven't yet... I struggle with that question because I really, really, what is most important for me is to help them develop a strong connection with themselves. Mm-hmm. If I do that, I've done my job. Um, you know, they, they know they're Jewish because we celebrate certain holidays, but they know if they really asked, if they were asked about their mom, they know that their mom does yoga, that their mom meditates, that their mom chants, that their mom's a weirdo, as they would call it sometimes, my (laughs) seven-year-old. So I think that defines me so much that it's not like something I leave out of my life with them. And in fact, once in a while, it's cute. Like I'll be meditating, my door will be closed, but I'll open my eyes. And then my five-year-old is sitting (laughs) next to me and, but also just sitting there. So, you know, I really believe kids emulate what we do more than anything. It's not as important to teach them certain dogmas as it is to emulate a belief in the magic of life, belief in your own magic and your own power, and really important to cultivate their own connection with themselves, which of course sometimes could be um, less than easy because it's also in kids' DNA to want to belong and to do what other people do. So... Mm -hmm. That's what we're working on. That's what my goal is for them to be really strongly connected to their own inner guidance, intuition, higher self. I love that. And I think that's what I am trying to teach my daughter, who is also seven. Um, yeah. So it's second grade, right? 
she's in first. Oh, she's going, in first. Okay. Going she's to second. Younger. She's the oldest, the oldest. of Got the it. first graders. Got it. Uh, but she, you know, I do want her to be aware. I think we I, we talk about awareness and what is it that you want to do, not what mommy wants you to do. I don't want you to do stuff just to make me happy. What makes you happy? And I think she's she that's sometimes a struggle. She's just learning, like, okay, I'm, I need to do what I need to do, what I want to do, not what my friends tell me. Mm. What I like, or mom, and- even right? Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes you do what mom tells you to do, sometimes you got that. <laughs> sometimes you have to, yes. Um, but she's it's you know, it's a challenge being a mother, especially a mother who has dealt with trauma. Um, it took a long time for me to realize that she started adapting some of my anxiety because, mm. and this was because I didn't get the, the, the help before when I needed to, you know, I realized when she was such a young child that I was just getting triggered, but then it was like, oh my gosh, I really need to get help. Yeah. And then once I did, then she started seeing how I was adapting, how like me- meditating and yoga and been this thing because a problem for me was people pleasing. I wanted people to like me. And like you said, we try to belong. We, it's an innate feeling yes. to want to belong. Yes. As you get older, you're just like, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> like, no, but, I know, want but, to be happy. Right. But like you say that, but right, there's somewhere deep in your bones that of course you do still care. This so is that's true. the work. That's the work, right? Right. And maybe it's been easier because of COVID and I haven't been exposed to so many people that may disagree with me or not like me, but my, I, I feel like that is just something so important for me to teach my daughter to just people are not going to like you and people are going to like you, but you need to do what makes you happy. God, it's not easy. And uh, it's funny since we all, we both have daughters. Um, and um, the, the Tao Te Ching, by the way, says that it has a great line and I write about it in Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. It says, um, care too much about the opinions of others and you be, you become their prisoner. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is so true. And so that I wrote about that and my own people pleasing tendencies. And some of it is coming from the Soviet culture where like kids were really different in school. You were raised to be really well behaved and really a good girl, but also a good boy. Like it was just very, um, very different. And although as I've learned here that plenty of American women have the need to please as well. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this realization that happened to me that I realized that if you want authentic connection and I love people and I love connecting, whether it's my friends or just strangers, I love connecting with humans. But when you want authentic connection, that is very different than people pleasing, because if you're doing stuff that is not aligned with who you actually are, you're not being authentic. So you can't authentically connect with people and be overly concerned with being liked. Right. Um, Andrew wanted to step up on stage. He's, he's asking, I don't know, um, Andrew, if you'd actually like to come up and ask your question. I see that you were you were curious about spouses, but would you be interested in coming up there? He's curious if we've had issues with spouses or partners not being supported, supportive with our practices. 
Oh, he's at work and he can't speak. So that's okay. Well, we can answer Andrew's question. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this is a really, really good one. And I'm, I'm thinking Andrew's on a spiritual journey of his own. That's why he's asking probably. Um, so it's complicated. Look, I, I've been married for um, about 10 years now, almost 10 years. And um, my husband is both really supportive and sometimes not supportive. <laughs> because we're all human, right? So we, you know, I'm sure there's stuff I do that triggers things from his past and his childhood traumas. Um, And he, uh, God, I hope he doesn't hear me right now. (laughs) He definitely has some of his own abandonment issues um, because of his tumultuous childhood and his parent, you know, parents getting divorced early and stuff like that. And so practicing awareness allows you to also see your partner and see their vulnerability, even in their anger. Like now that doesn't mean, or their annoyance rather, my husband's very sweet. So it doesn't mean that you put up with everything, right? It just means that you accept people exactly as they are. And when you accept someone exactly as they are and you free them from having to be anything other than what they are, and that's part of our spiritual growth, the thing is, you give them a hell of a lot of freedom, a hell of a lot more freedom than an average uh, spouse gives their partner than in an average marriage. Because what happens is you say, okay, I'm going to free you from my expectations of you, but I would also like you to free me. Now, that doesn't always, that's not up to you. That's up to them. But when you free them from your great expectations and let them be as they are, which sometimes they are supportive, let's say, and sometimes they're not, what happens is you let them have their emotions. You let them have their, because remember, if they're not being supportive, that's because something is being triggered in them. Mm -hmm. So everyone is really only in a relationship with themselves. So you let them be as they are, whether they're supportive or not. You don't need really their support. You need your own support. And so when you let them be as they are and you let them work through their stuff, they're actually growing whether they know it or not. And of course, this is not to say that you take behavior or you take uh, relationships that are damaging to you. You don't. What it is, is you accept people exactly as they are and you either take them as they are or you don't. And that is for you to decide based on their treatment. But when you free them, they will... They, they will come on board eventually. That's how I feel. And the, the moments they don't, that's okay too. You just got to be, you got to be you and do you. Exactly. I, I agree. My husband, it took a, lot, a while to, for him to understand that I was dealing with trauma and that I needed, you know, I, I had, I had to develop and heal and work through my past traumas. Um, it wasn't easy for him because clearly I was very reactive, just, you know, always in fight or flight mode. And, and sometimes it was very unfair to him sometimes when I was very aggressive. But, you know, it's explaining what is happening with me. Why do I have to, what is it that I'm working on so I can be my best self? If you bring your best self to the table, that only benefits you two as a couple. Um, and so that has, that's, that's a great question. And it's more of like, you know, Jesse said, it's, it's meeting them where they are and where, what they, they, they have their personal journey where they need to grow 
or you yes. need to grow. Yes. And all relationships are living organisms, right? It's not like once you get into a relationship, that's it. That's where it is. We're all changing and growing all the time. And if you remember that you're responsible for your happiness and they're responsible for theirs, that makes things easier. But I love what you said, Lorley, because yes, communication, of course, is key. And if you're explaining, listen, I'm dealing with A, B, and C right now, and I'm not my perfect self, but I appreciate you being here anyway. You know, appreciation also goes a long way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do have a chapter, funny enough, that I just, I just, um, went through the book through don't just sit there do nothing there's a chapter called off the leash so it's about this letting go of expectations of our significant others and it's not what most of us do like we are we are kind of programmed by society to find a person that makes us happy and of course that's not possible not for not for a prolonged period of time maybe for the first few months (laughs) So off the leash is important, letting others off the leash and letting yourself off the leash. And sometimes they're displeased with you and that's okay too. You know, that was a hard one for me and I'm sure for you too, Loralee, because if you're a people pleaser, it's hard to have your significant other less than pleased with you. Oh gosh, yes. And and that was one thing I struggled with a lot. And what I learned in treatment was, like you said, I need to deal with my own stuff and he needs to deal with his own stuff. And most of his being displeased with me was his own internal issues he was dealing with. Right. Because when you're changing, your partner's changing, of course, it's going to trigger. There's going to be some triggers for the other person. That's okay. That's, that's a chance for them to grow as well. Well, thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate you um, asking questions. We love we love the questions. Thank you so much, and it's it's super helpful. Yeah, it's so fun. I I when I was younger, I used to listen to like I think Love Lines. It was remember like people would call in with questions, and it was always my dream. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Or to be like a Doctor Fraser, like a Fraser Crane, like. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's nice to because it's nice to hear what other people are kind of dealing with, and and it, it's good to have that communication going with everyone. It's a, we're a community of of humans, and you know everyone's going through their own stuff. And to be honest, most of the time, it just it's very relatable to everyone. Yes, I say in the introduction. By the way, in the book, I say. Uh, the stories are mine. The girl is me. The stories are mine, but the struggle is universal Mm -hmm. because like the human condition is the human condition. And sometimes people are struck, you know, people, some people struggle worse than others, but really pain is pain. I always say that to people don't underestimate your own pain. Um, It's not a, it's not like a competition for who had worse things happen to them. We all experience pain and we all experience trauma. I am convinced of that in our lives. And so that's why everything we go through is really the same. Different versions. (laughs) I completely agree with you right there. Um, Our our relative is our trauma is relative to our us. Yes. And it's, no bigger than someone else's and we shouldn't diminish our own trauma because someone experienced something quote unquote worse. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's definitely, it's challenging, you know, our world, like it's, it's interesting that we find ourselves in a world that is 
traumatized by a global pandemic and on the heels of that pandemic, I mean, it's we're not even out of it fully yet, but on the heels of the pandemic is a war. We're in a, we're in a pretty traumatizing period, you guys. Like it's not, no, it's not easy going. So we do need to do the work. I say this all the time that we still need to do the work on ourselves. Um, I really believe that when you heal yourself, you heal the world, a piece of the world, because we're all interconnected. And there's like an invisible thread that runs through all of human society, but all of the world and the entire living world, really. That's why we're connected to nature. We're connected to animals. We're all interconnected. And we each part affects the whole. And that's why when you're able to reconnect with your own light and your own inner truth and your own power, you're doing a great service to the whole. And also you start spreading that light to all of the relationships and all of the people around you. And who knows how far that will go. Right. Cause it's, it's contagious. It's the energy is contagious. Um, and so if you're, you have that positive energy, it's more likely that you will pass that on to the next person and hopefully they can pass it on to the next person. Can you imagine if we all practice self-loved and love and all loved ourselves, what, what that could do for like mankind? That would be a different world for sure. And I don't even think we all need to do it. I think we need like, um, you know, like a tipping point. Remember that book, Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point? We just need mm, enough yep. of us to wake up to wake up to our own power and to wake up to the power of love for each other, that there is no other, that we're all one. Um, we just, we need, we need sort of a mass consciousness sort of shift. And I think, you know, Lorley, I think like people like you and I, and all of the people joining us, I think we're on that path. Absolutely. You know, I found it really interesting. So in the 90s, I live in Washington, D.C., and in the 90s, there was a study done where they had like hundreds of people come to D.C. to meditate, to, to kind of release this positive energy to see. And, you know, D.C. was a very dangerous time, you know, in the 90s. It was very a dangerous city. Um, and they were going to meditate. It was like a collective meditation to see if the crime rate would go down. And it actually did. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was awesome. And I believe actually, I believe also even car accidents went down during oh, that really? mass meditation. Yeah. Um, you're, yeah, you're spot on bringing that up because that was, that should be talked more about. That's mm -hmm. an example of people coming together and affecting other folks and uh, uh, other events way beyond them. It's pretty cool, right? It's so cool. I, I found that so fascinating because I just started learning so much about energy and releasing this positive energy. Because I mean, like we were talking about, if I'm if I'm feeling down and I'm angry and I'm negative and I'm mean to another person, that's probably going to mess up their day and it's just going to pass it on. So it's just when we're and, able to shift, it's good. Yeah. And conversely, because people do have their shit, conversely, like mm -hmm. not being reactive. That's what where mindfulness comes in, not being reactive to other people's stuff, to, rem to this understanding that what is going on with another person is about them. And if someone's being rude to you, it's about them. And there's no need to react. Like to, to be loving, to send love regardless. I love this story that um, Wayne Dyer, who I studied, 
a lot of his work for a long time. He has passed on, but he's, you know, this great spiritual teacher. And he used to always say, if you take an orange and you squeeze an orange, what comes out? And the answer, of course, is orange juice. But if you're rude to the orange or if you're, you know, mean to the orange or if you laugh at the orange and you squeeze it, does it change what comes out? And of course, the answer is no. And I write about that and don't just sit there, do nothing in, in cultivating the sort of goodness that's dependent on no one. Hmm. And, and so you spread that goodness to the world, no matter what is going on. Wow. I love that. Is there anything, you know, you actually wrote in Authentic Insider magazine, February's issue. Um, you wrote about um, the pharmaceutical, um, for pharmaceuticals for healing um, or helping. Can you talk a little bit about that? It was, it was, the title was... Zoloft, Prozac, Impaxil, a love story. And I found it so fascinating. And, you know, uh, can you talk a little bit about it? Yes. Thanks for bringing that up. I, um, I love that piece and thank you for publishing it. And I think that it's really an important topic in our self-help spiritual world, because unfortunately there's sort of a stigma, like, shouldn't we just be able to heal ourselves and why do we need anything external? And I've had, it's funny, when I published that and then I think I shared it on my social, I did have comments and I know they don't come from a bad place, but, oh, have you tried, you know, magnesium? Like, do you, you know, have you just tried natural things? Here's the deal. We, as human beings, um, our brains work in such a way that when we were developing as a species, our reactions would be survival based. So, you know, when we saw a bear coming at us, we would fight or flight would be triggered and we would hopefully, you know, flee uh, the dangerous <laughs> situation. And so we, we have a brain that works for our own survival. And of course, as we develop these dangers, life and death dangers decreased for the most part in our everyday lives, but our brains didn't necessarily adapt to this less survival-based existence. And then of course, if you know my history of being a refugee early on and um, you know, sometimes not having enough food and such, I had to go through several countries in order to get here to America. And what happens is our brains still act as if we're, you know, those cavemen living in that caveman world. Mm -hmm. And sometimes some of us actually need the help of pharmaceuticals, of antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications to just reach a status quo, um, to reach a level where we can be not constantly triggered. And that's where I'm at right now. I mean, I've been on um, an antidepressant, anti-anxiety med for a while. I'm not going to say it's going to be forever. Um, my essay, as you remember, was about trying to get off of it a lot. <laughs> but I've accepted that as of now, this is something I need in conjunction with meditation, in conjunction with all of my other self-help practices, because it's not an you know either or kind of situation when it comes to your own well-being. 
And I don't want other people to feel bad about themselves for needing to take something to feel just stable in the world. In fact, if everyone took care of themselves and did whatever they needed to, to get to a level of stability, we'd have a more peaceful world. Absolutely. Yes. And so that's why, that's just the message I wanted to get across. Not because I'm like, oh, everyone should go on medication, but you know, only you know, when you take the time to go within and converse with yourself, like we talked about earlier, only you know what you need. And I know that that's something, unfortunately, my brain does not function 100% on its own. Um, and so I do what I need to do, which is take some Zoloft. Which is absolutely, I mean, I had to when I went into um, treatment, you know, I, I was put on Zoloft and it did help put out the fires. You know, it helped me get to a level where I can start my healing instead of completely be hypervigilant and just not being able to focus. Um, I was on it for several months, probably like six to nine months, I believe. Um, and then I don't know, I don't know if you've read, but I, I went into psychedelic assisted therapy. I did MDMA. Yes. Um, and actually, after my second um, MDMA experience, I was able to get off the medications. That's um, amazing. That's amazing. And that's something I've been researching as well, and psilocybin as well, because mm -hmm. that is a very interesting um, option uh, and definitely something we need to look into more. And it would be lovely to, you know, I think that, that it's interesting. I, I watched... Um, Oh God, the, the name is escaping me, but it's a, it's a documentary on Netflix about mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it, the secret life of fungi or the, yes, yes. Yeah. And it's interesting that we haven't researched quite as much these natural, um, or, or, you know, MDMA is not necessarily natural, but these remedies that are more short lived. Mm -hmm. Something that's so, not dependent on. Right. So it's very interesting to me. And I'm open to that kind of stuff for sure. I'm open to everything. Um, I think it's important to keep, as they call in the East, a beginner's mind. You know, the second we think we know everything, <laughs> the universe will have something up its sleeve. I think it's important to know that we don't. Mm -hmm. And that is, I love that, that you did that. That's super interesting to me. Yeah, I did do two sessions with the MDMA and that really helped with the the trauma. I'm a sexual abuse survivor, childhood sexual abuse survivor, and that really helped. But then I, I did two sessions of that, six months apart, I believe. And then I actually did the psilocybin uh -huh. and that really opened up my world to... It's like I'm nothing, but I'm everything, kind of. Absolutely, kind of <laughs> uh, I could I could talk about that all day. I did that for my 40th birthday. That's all I wanted is that experience, and so my husband arranged that, and we did that, and that's absolutely the dissolution, complete not dissolution, dissolution. The dissolution of your ego is a beautiful thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, it's something you take back into your, into, into your life. And this uh, really great for spiritual people like us, for these searchers to always carry with us this understanding that we're part of the whole and we are the whole. <laughs> exactly. Jesse, is there anything that you would like to add? I would love to add, um, 
which I think is what I, and don't just sit there, do nothing with, uh, this reminder, you know, if you don't mind, I might read just one, a couple of lines from the epilogue. I would love you to, for you to, yes, please. I say at the end of the book, the thing I'd like to tell you here, one last note, if you will, before I shut up for a bit, is that even if you follow none of my suggestions, not a single one, you are doing the Tao. Even if you don't like much of what I've written here, you're doing it and doing it well, because there is no other way. The good and bad classifications we give ourselves are simply impositions on isness. So this idea of resting in our isness, I, I want to end with letting folks know wherever you are on your journey, even if you're at the very bottom and I've been there and Laura Lee's been there, it's all, it's okay. And it's all good. And that's just a moment in time from which you are yet to rise. We are the ones who put these impositions on our isness and call an experience bad or good when really it's all experience. And so just keep going. I love it. Thank you so much. And um, if anyone wants to um, voice anything, say, um, have a question before we go, please feel free to um, request to get up on stage. I'd love to have you really quickly before um, we take off. And in the meantime, I just want to add also that um, this idea uh, didn't come from me. It came from the Tao Te Ching, this idea that I love it, this kind of, the Tao, which translates as the way, or you could think of it as the universe, God, whatever, doesn't really care, doesn't really judge whether we self-actualize or not. We are beautiful and perfect in all our messiness, but it's more of a desire from within ourselves to live a more peaceful, easeful, joyful life. And that's why we're all on this journey. We're loved regardless. We're perfect regardless. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank oh, you so, so much. I know. It's awesome, isn't it? Fireside chat is great. Well, I do want to thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for having me. All right. That was Jesse Cantor writer and best-selling author of Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. For more on Jessie, you could go ahead and actually click on that fortune cookie there, and that can take you to her website. And it'll also take you to her book. So if you'd like to purchase it, you could purchase it there by just clicking on that fortune cookie. You can also get more information at my website at tstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. She has contributed to February's issue of Authentic Insider, which you can find at my website. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider Magazine in your inbox monthly. Join us next week on Thursday. We'll actually go live again on Fireside with Cognitive Behavioral coach Yvonne Sandemir and author of The Invisible Girl of Memoir. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Take care, everyone.